being here. And uh, John, thank you. John is an amazing uh, voice for transformation. Because at the end of the day, if there was a switch I could find where everything that's not good about me would be like unloaded, right? Like a dump truck. And everything that God wants in me could all be loaded at once. How many of you would clamor to find that switch? <laughs> but the truth is, is that the way he said it is the way it really is. You know, we're trying to listen to the Spirit. We're trying to pray before we talk. We're just trying to figure out a way to be, to actually be more like Jesus. Not talk about it, not encourage people to do it, but just actually do it step by step, you know. My wife and I were new to Atlanta. I was in the middle of road rage or something. I mean, it can happen. You can imagine what it would be like living there. We came from Indiana where, you know, a traffic jam was six minutes to get across town. And uh, so this one day we're driving along and I'm, a wreck, and Susan just said, no, it's really a shame these people just don't know how nice you can be. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you had that spiritual insight. <laughs> but you know, step by step, you do start thinking about, like, what would God want for me to do, and why? Why do things like that matter? And so I appreciate you, John. Thank you very much. Okay. Well, let's get started. And we talked about this yesterday. This is a three-day class, The Tale of the Dove. Uh, we talked about three sessions, and the one we're going to do today is Uninformed, the truth we were told about the Spirit. And yesterday we gave this definition of Spirit is unbodily, personal power. And then we asked these questions yesterday of Pentecostal theology. Pentecostal theology is you meet God. And then you live the rest of your life out of two questions. Who is the God I met? And what does this God want with my life? And we talked about the Apostle Paul meeting Christ on the road to Damascus. His first question was what? Who are you, Lord? And what's the very first thing the Lord said to him? Someone else is going to tell you what to do. So this is how we live out our life in the Spirit. We were uninformed about some things. And when I say we, here's what I've got to say. I don't know which church you grew up in, so what can I actually only do? I can kind of only speak out of my experience. I can speak out of the experience I've heard from others. Uh, my wife, five generations in churches of Christ, so I can listen to her experience. Some of you have had really good experiences, some not so good experiences. Most of us a mixed bag. But something on this list is going to land with you. Maybe not all of them, but something will. So one of the things that we were not led to in our movement, for the most part, is that we had to experience God in the Spirit. That was very rarely said, if ever. How many of you grew up in a church where this was a constant theme? Okay, so one. Oh, one. Okay. Um, so I think that one lands the most of us. Okay. And then the Bible is a tool of the Spirit, but it's not sufficient for knowing God and His will apart from spiritual discernment gifted by the Spirit. We'll look at this in a moment, but many of us are taught that the Word of God on its own is sufficient to fully know God. That is not a biblical concept. You cannot get to know God through the Word without the discernment of the Spirit. Number three, we were not taught that we, we were taught that we cannot, or excuse me, that we cannot discern the meaning of Scripture without the mind of Christ revealed to us by the Spirit. That downplaying the Spirit is a form of idolatry. I thought it was interesting. Back in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon, and he said it this way: "The idolatry of the heathen." is that they have too many gods. The equally grievous sin of the believer is that we don't have enough of God. Because we have a bi-unity instead of a trinity. We relate to the Father and the Son, but we have this faceless other, this Holy Spirit, who Rick aptly referred to the other night as that crazy uncle. Right? And then finally, that the Spirit is the fulfillment of the will of the Father and the Son. 
One of the most difficult doctrines in Scripture is that Jesus believed it was better for the world for him to leave and for the Spirit to come. Now, I want you to consider this for a few moments before we move on. If Jesus was to come back to the earth today, and I don't mean like the final coming. I mean just come back like he was, you know, dressed in the same garb, wearing the same sandals, looking the same as he did then. What would be the one question of every believer? Where is he? What was the first question when John said to his disciples, Behold the Lamb of God. And they walked over to Jesus and what did they ask? Rabbi, where do you stay? So what if we found out that Jesus, like in the flesh, like carpenter Jesus, was in England? What would happen to the population of that island kingdom? Well, it would explode. Well, what if we found out that Jesus was here in the U.S.? What would people do? Well, they would flock. Right? And see, if he was here, the whole world of believers would be asking what question? Where is he? But you do quickly see the problem, right? Because if that's how he was here, then even in this room itself, in this room itself, not all of us would get like quality time with we jostle for space. We long to ask that list of questions. We ain't saving them for heaven now. We'll just ask them right now. But you see, many of you wouldn't get close enough to them to actually ask it. And when you did get close, there'd be all kinds of people standing around. And you might have some personal things you want to ask them, so you want a quiet conversation, but you can't ever get to a quiet conversation because there are too many people around. Jesus says, you understand the problem with me staying. So it's actually better if I leave. Now listen carefully. Because he would say, what happened in me is about to happen in you. That God showed that human bodies are meant for his spirit. And we thought that not possible. But there came Jesus, full of the spirit living in the power of the Spirit, doing ministry through the Spirit. Then he says, you want to know what will really be great when I'm physically gone and the Spirit is living and physically you. And then you know what? We'll be everywhere. The Spirit of God, the life of Christ, the Father, because every time the Spirit comes, he brings his two favorites, Father and Son. In fact, what's the Spirit called in Romans 8? The Spirit of Christ. He's the Spirit of God. He's the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit comes, everyone comes. <laughs> so all the God dwelled in Jesus in bodily form. And what is the church? The church is the fullness of Christ. So now, wherever the church is, people are experiencing Christ. The people on the island of Great Britain don't need to even travel across the channel to France to find Jesus. Right? The people north of the border don't have to cross the Rio Grande to find Jesus in Mexico. The people in Brazil don't have to go to Paraguay or Uruguay. They, they can be right there at home. Because wherever a believer is, there is the Christ indwelling through the Spirit. So let's take this a step further today. The truth we were told about the Holy Spirit, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put several of these truths up on the screen. With those truths, I have some scripture references for all but I think three of them, and you'll understand why when we get there. Miracles ended when the Bible was completed. How many of you have heard that truth? <laughs> Miracles ended when the Bible was completed. Uh, so we quote this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the Bible is completed, what is in part will disappear. <laughs> you quickly see a dilemma, right? Because it doesn't say that when the Bible is completed, they'll disappear. 
but we know that that's what it means. Now, how many of you think that's a little bit sketchy to like do all of that with that? Right? Well, no, that means the Bible. And someone, like, honestly, might just say, well, it doesn't say that. You're like, but it means that. Someone might say, well, how do you know it means that? Well, because it has to. Why? Because I don't want miracles going on. <laughs> so I've got to find a way to stop them. But here's what might seem a little fascinating to our friends. When our child, then, is told that they have a terminal illness, we will pray for a So if they've ended, why are we asking? Or do we have kind of a schizophrenic view of this thing? We want miracles, but like Rick said, the control burn. We only want miracles when we ask for them. So we kind of want to, to Jesus to, to be like a phone-a-friend, you know? It's like, don't do the whole miracle thing, but if the red phone rings, answer it. <laughs> He was like, well, that makes me think that you would be in charge. Like, you decide who ought to get a gift and who gets miracles and all of that. And we never actually gave that over to you. So here's the deal. If, if a miracle is going to happen, we'll call you. And it will happen. And then you'll get to deal with our intervention in our creation for our glory. Oh. Well, that's the way God would say, well, that's the way I've always been. This is nothing new. You didn't start yourself and you didn't start me. I started y'all out. That was a miracle in and of itself. Some people I find fascinating to say, well, you know, I don't really believe in the miracles of Jesus. So I don't even believe in the resurrection. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe you're here? Well, for the most part, we'd say, yep, I think I am. Well, where'd you come from? Well, what do you mean by that? Existentially? Well, I was actually thinking of your parents. Oh, you mean like that? Well, I was born. Well, where did they come from? Well, apparently they were born as well. I would think so. Where did they come from? Well, probably born. Where are you going with that? As far back as you can go. Because you see, something or someone has always been. And if eternity is real, which it obviously is, then that's outside of your frame of reference and mine. There's no box big enough for eternity. You can't go to Home Depot and buy a tape measure long enough. You can't get a clock that will measure it. So eternity is outside of every human box. We're bound by what? Space and time. Eternity is not bound by what? Space and time. So either something's always been or someone has always been. And I think the best explanation from the world in which we live would assume that someone has always been. If someone has always been, someone made you. Someone made this. That's a miracle. If you can buy creation, you understand it takes less to believe in the miracles of Jesus than to believe in the creation of the world. This universe is a miracle. Don't be shocked if miracles happen within a miracle. If the miracle of the universe is birthing ongoing miracles, don't be surprised. So miracles should not be our surprise. I would guess that our definition of miracle could use a tune-up. So, some of you already know this, so I know it's review, but let's take a step into this. There is no Greek word for miracle in the New Testament. Now, if I ask you to pause for a few minutes and reflect on that, you'd think, well, that makes sense. Because what's a miracle? Something you can't explain. So, should we be surprised that there is not a word capable of conveying something that can't be explained? So what are the words of the New Testament? Well, there's two that are used the most prominently. One is the word power, and one is the word sign. What does it mean? A miracle says, something happened. Something happened. What's a sign say? That something points to something. So miracles are what? Something has happened, and you need to pay attention. 
Something unusual took place. Something outside the box. Something we can't explain. It happened. And we're going to go ahead and own it and then assume that it's trying also to get us to think about something. Now understand, I don't believe that a miracle is either power or a sign. I think those are false dichotomies. I think that a miracle is always power and always a sign. It was always something God was doing, and it always opens the opportunity for us to know God better. So, if you were told that miracles have ceased, there is not a biblical reference that validates that statement. And neither does our experience. Some of you have been through the painful experiences that we have shared. Or you've prayed your hearts out for a specific miracle at a specific time. And it did not happen, right? Right? And that can shake us, can it? Right? I wonder what Mark 1 was like when Jesus had healed so many people and the news got out. Right? And the whole town gathered at the door. And they had to sleep on it because Jesus couldn't get to all of them uh, that evening. And the next morning, he got up early. And he went out to pray. And his disciples stumbled around. And they're tiptoeing across expectant people. They're sleeping now, but they'll be clamoring later. And they go and find Jesus. And what in the world are you doing? And he's praying. you got to go back. There's people waiting on you. Jesus said, well, i got to go forth. Because i got to get to the next town to do there what I did here. Well, no, why don't you stay here and just fix every single person here? Well, that would mean if I stayed here and did every single person here, that I wouldn't go there and do anyone there. And you know his people have always struggled with being content with that equation. In Mark and Luke chapter 4, when Jesus comes full of the Spirit into his hometown, goes to his home synagogue, he goes to Sunday or Saturday school. <laughs> And, uh, and he goes in and he preaches and everyone loves it and everyone's excited. And then he says, you do realize that this isn't just for Jewish people, it's for everyone. And then they say, well, you know, over the cliff of you. Why? Well, because if we find something good from God, we're never satisfied with how much or how little we get. Perhaps that's why miracles aren't turned over to us. There is no validation in Scripture that miracles have ceased. Number two, the Holy Spirit does not dwell in us except through the Word. How many of you heard something like this from right now? Okay? All right? Uh, a passage that kind of uh, lent itself uh, to that was uh, John uh, 6, 63. Uh, and in uh, John 6, 63, it says, uh, The words I speak are spirit and they are life. So the idea was is that the words are the Spirit. They would take Ephesians 5.19, let the Spirit of Christ dwell in you richly, and then Colossians 3.16, companion verse, let the message of Christ dwell in you, and they said that the message and the Spirit are identical. Okay? Well, that's, that's problematic. 1 John 1.24, Romans 8.9-11, and John 14, all specifically say that the Holy Spirit dwells in our bodies. An ancillary doctrine that I learned in Ohio in Springfield was, if the Spirit of God actually dwelled in you, it would make you God, so it is actually only through the Word that you have the Spirit. Here's what happened. I've been living in Ohio. Uh, uh, we left there and moved to Indiana. Several of the members of the church there that were being trained in ministry still wanted us to finish our study of the Holy Spirit. So this would have been back around 1988-1989. So we agreed that we'd meet halfway in Springfield, Ohio. I called the church there, and I said, hey, we're going to have a Bible study. Uh, we're looking for a, a room. And they said, hey, come and meet at our church. I said, wonderful. So we get to the church. There's about six of us. I get up. I open my Bible. Romans chapter 8. We're studying the Holy Spirit. I read Romans 8, 1 through 11. And I get to the end of verse 11. We're about three or four minutes into the study. And this guy, the preacher, he uh, said, whoa, 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 whoa. From the back. So I stopped, because he said what? <laughs> and he said, you threw a curveball at me, preacher. 
Well, all I had done so far was read 11 verses out of the Bible. I said, well, what was it? Oh, you said the Holy Spirit dwells in us. I thought, no, I did not say the Holy Spirit dwells in us. The Holy Spirit said the Holy Spirit dwells in us. I said, well, that's what it says. No, it does not. And then he said, if you think the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then I ought to come up there and bow down to you, for you are God. I thought, well, don't do that. <laughs> we'll both end up in trouble. <laughs> but this is fascinating. This didn't come to me until he, he actually told us we had to leave. So that was seven minutes into it that we had to leave. And we drove it a long way, so we went to Bob Evans and finished it. But... Uh, <laughs> The Spirit nurtured us through Bob Evans' biscuits. But if you'll look at uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 15, it says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was in his mother's womb. And I don't think John the Baptist thought of himself as God. I think he had a more famous statement, something like, I must decrease and he must increase. You see, the Spirit dwelling in us doesn't mean that the Spirit's identity is lost and fused with our identity. The Spirit dwelling in us is a gift of God that was modeled by the Incarnation. That God can dwell in human form, and that's what lets the church know that as God can dwell in human form in Jesus, the Spirit can dwell in human form in you. Well, here's one. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not for everyone, but only for those who lived during the times of Jesus in the early church. Now you heard something like that, right? Well, that's interesting, because 1 Corinthians 12, 13 tells us that we are all baptized by one Spirit into Christ. And Acts 15, 8 through 18 explains that the baptism of the Spirit came on the Jews and the Gentiles, indicating that all have been included in the promises that God made to Abraham. So I don't care how you think out what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means, everyone's getting it. Because your presence in the body of Christ is the result of the immersion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit only communicates through the Word. How many of you have heard something like that? Okay. Well, this is what we're going to stop on. Romans 8, 16. Now, here's, here's what will be great. You guys all have your Bibles. You're all Bible scholars. Let's do this together. Uh, Romans 8, 16. Someone turn to that and you get the picture, right? 1 John uh, 5. How about if we do this for a primer? Uh, where's my wife, Susan? Susan, where'd you end up? Okay. Would you read Romans 8, 16 in a minute? And then, uh, Stephen, would you do 1 John 5, 6 through 8? And that'll give you the rest of you to pick one, okay? And I don't care if 10 of you pick one. We'll only have one of you read. But can everyone see the screen? Someone jump down there to 1 John 2, 20 and 27, because I'm worried we'll get caught up in this thing and not get that one. So someone jump down and get that. Can I get a volunteer on that one? Okay, right here, what's your name? I'm coming back to you if you'll make sure you get that one. So someone else get the rest of them. And, and look alive, because, you know, we'll be waiting on you. Okay, so Susan, you read Romans 8, and then we'll do First John. <laughs>
this better work. <laughs> or how many of you would think when a big crowd gathers, I hope Jesus is on this gate. <laughs> you see, we think we're the only ones nervous if the Spirit breaks out. Everyone is nervous when the Spirit breaks out. Because it's the Spirit doing something that humans can't do on their own. Folks, if we can build a church without the Spirit, it's not the church of God. If I can live a life that doesn't require the Spirit, it's not a Christian life. Boy, we should keep reading. This is getting good. Look at Acts 6, 8 through 11. Okay, up here. Stephen, brimming with God's grace and energy, was doing wonderful things among the people, unmistakable signs that God was among them. But then some men from the meeting place whose membership was made up of freed slaves, Syrians, Alexandrians, and some of the other from Sicilia and Asia, went up against them trying to argue him down. But what happened? But they were no match for his wisdom and spirit when he spoke. So in secret, they bribed, him, bribed men to lie. What happened? They just could not handle it when someone submitted to the Spirit and spoke from the Spirit. Right? Look at 8, 27 and, tw and up through 29. Chapter 8, 27 through 29. Back up here. Yep. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Who else would have known? 
Now look at 1528. Uh, right, who's got that one? Right here. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to This passage blows my mind. Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council, right? You've got all kinds of religious leaders there. You've got scholars all gathered. You've got James, Paul, Barnabas, Peter, heavy hitters in the body of Christ. And at the end they say, well, they got down to the end. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit's going to... It seemed good to you and the Holy Spirit? I mean, what is this? Is this like a car full of people after church? Where are we going to go eat? <laughs> well, let's go to Piccadilly. No, I think we go to Papa Dole. John, what do you think? I'm good whatever. <laughs> Is that the Holy Spirit in the backseat saying, John, good? Read it again. It seemed good. Stop. What did the Holy Spirit say? I'm good. Read it again. Because there's folks in the back that are still skeptical. Go ahead. Seemed good to the Holy Spirit. How many of you thinking, well, that sounds very comfortable? He's called a comfort. Don't you think it would be good to make a great big decision about the future of the church and the Holy Spirit says, I want to make sure they know on tape what we just did. Thumbs up. <laughs> Holy Spirit says, I'm down with that. How many of you are thinking, no, the Holy Spirit has to weigh in differently than that? The Holy Spirit says, man, I'm walking with you all the time. You're keeping in step with me. That's what we read in Galatians. It's kind of step for step in this thing. And every now and then what I want to say is, hey, Ruby, listen, you're on the right track. Just go ahead. And you're going to think, the Holy Spirit telling you I'm on the right track? Hey, we got to take another one because we don't want to miss this. Look at 16, 6 through 7. 16, 6 through 7. Okay, all the way in the back. Yep, I see you back there. Okay. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been touched by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Is he at the intersection? <laughs> you know, the Spirit's standing there with one of those reflective vests on. You know, stop. <laughs> I mean, seriously, have you ever wondered how they figured this out? Spirit said no. Well, let's keep going. Hey, I thought we'd go here. Spirit said no. So we kept going. That is what it says. Right? Well, let's get the rest of these. They're just too important to us. Let's look at chapter 20, verse 23. Who's on now? Uh, 2023. Okay, yep, I see you back by the sound. Except that in town after town, the Holy Spirit assures me that imprisonment and sufferings are waiting for me. Huh. Paul says, you know, I don't really know what's up. I did, I did hear from the Spirit. He said it's going to get tough. I did hear from the Spirit. He said it's going to get tough. Hmm. It's very personal, wasn't it? You notice he, Paul's a brilliant scholar, isn't he? So he could have gone back and said, boy, you know, I was reading the other day and I was really inspired by how tough things were for those, those, three, those three boys, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I was really inspired by them. Surely you believe he knew that story, right? Or maybe he'd have said, you know, in my devotional time this morning, I come across Genesis 15. I was really touched by Joseph there at the end saying to his brothers, you know, I know you meant this for harm, but God meant it for good. I'm sure they have those kinds of Bible studies, but that's not what he says here. He says the Holy Spirit told Paul, it's going to get tough, son. Hmm. Well, 21, 9 through 11. Okay. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. That's a little, that's a little different than this one. That one said things are going to get tough, and this one says it's going to get tough right now, and here's how it's going to happen, right? 
Let's look at the last one. Who did go ahead and get First John? Yeah. Right. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. Yeah. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains on you. You don't need anyone to teach you the truth. But since his anointing teaches you about all things, it's true and not a lie. Remain in relationship with him just as you That's really something, isn't it? Right? So you have this anointing on you. The Holy Spirit. Right? This Jesus called the Spirit of He's working in you. Working in your life. Folks, you know why we had to go through all these scriptures? It's because we've got to reorient ourselves to what the Bible actually modeled for the people of God. And for us to just say, it all ended when the last apostle died. Not one place in the New Testament does it say that. But we had to come up with a way to separate ourselves from people that our forefathers thought were out of order in the church. You realize that a point of contention between Alexander Campbell and Barton Stone was the rule of the Spirit. Stone believed that the evidence of salvation was the external display of the Spirit. But Campbell, having seen abuses of the external display of the Spirit, swung the pendulum too far the other direction. And our movement stayed too far the other direction. And we became a people with no language for these texts other than, well, that's all fine and good, but it ended after the apostles died. Someone says, that's not in the Bible. I know, but we're sticking with it. <laughs> it ended when they finished writing the Bible. Well, you know that's not in the Bible. I know, but I've got to stick with this thing. It's been a part of me for so long, I'm not sure what I'd do if I let go of it. Well, the Spirit might say, I do. I'd love to see what you would do if you still thought that I was not in retirement. Okay. People only received the Holy Spirit when they were baptized. I, I talk to your feathers. <laughs> talk to your feathers on this one. But let's do this real quickly. Uh, would someone over in this group, someone over here read Acts 2, 38 to 39, someone in the middle, Acts 8, 14 to 18, and then someone over here read, uh, uh, in the back, someone up there read Acts 10, 44 to 48, and down the front, someone read Acts 19, 1 through 7. So someone over here, will you take the first one? Who will do that over here? A whole bunch of you. Okay, right there. Yep. So you got the first one, and everyone she's reading Acts 2, 38 to 39. How many of you have heard of this passage? It's the only one I knew for the first 10 years. No, I'm just kidding. But it's a great one. So who's the promise of the Spirit for? Everyone that keeps coming. Right? Yeah. This one? Someone read 8, 14 to 18. Okay, I, I see you right there. Go ahead. Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and then where? 
Samaria, went up there, told the message of Jesus. What happened? Water stirred, people baptized, come up, apostles here. Hey, let's send some guys up there, see how it's going. They get there. The Holy Spirit hadn't been given yet, for they'd only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So they lay hands on them. Holy Spirit comes on them. And we are scratching our heads. You know why? Because Acts 2.38 is supposed to be able to answer every situation we will ever read about. <laughs> but who's going to do Acts 10.44 to 48? We need someone up in the back shop. Okay, good, good, good. Okay. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift, that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Any chance you could have read just two of those verses? <laughs> what do you all think of that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's like Peter's preaching along. What's Peter thinking? It ain't going to take. These are Gentiles. You remember his opening line when he goes to share with them? Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, my people think it's immoral for me to be here. <laughs> you say apostle. No, you guys go to the Greek. Look up blueletterbible.com. You'll find it. Uh, 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 in Greek, it's not unlawful. It's immoral. It's unclean for us to be here. That's his opening line. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having us over for dinner. You realize our people think that we're going to get something on us. says, you. <laughs> but we're here. So Peter starts his sermon, and the Holy Spirit knows he's going to get to the end of this thing, and no one's going to be just as I am. The Spirit knows that. They're not offering an invitation. No way. So what's the Spirit do? He slides in and says, let's give them a nudge. You say, well, all they got was the, uh, the tongues. Would you go back and read that one more time? <laughs> So the whole passage again? <laughs> what you're reading is more important than what I'm saying. <laughs> the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit. Say that phrase again. They have received the Holy Spirit, just as we have. Man, there's got to be a way for that not to say that. <laughs> there has to be. Or maybe there does Does someone even want to read Acts 19? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to do this one. And it happened that Marcus Paulus was at Corinth. Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No. We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John. They get baptized in the name of Jesus, 
But it doesn't say they didn't receive anything of the Holy Spirit. But it does say that after he baptized them, he laid hands on them and they received the Spirit. How many of you are thinking that the Spirit might say something like, well, I just do stuff. <laughs> and how many of us would say, you have to fit into systematic pneumatology. <laughs> because we can't take you any other way. We need to slow you down. How many of you have looked uh, or worked in electronic engineering? Okay. What do resistors do? They impede the current. And resistors don't all resist to the same amount. But what are we trying to do? Slow down the power. I am a theologian. I love systematic pneumatology. But I just realized the Spirit doesn't have to fit into it. He just does his thing and I try to watch and journal about it. Yeah. That's what we see in the New Testament. We see people laying there wide-eyed awake at night. I can just imagine, you know, like three or four of the apostles laying there. And then after about half an hour, John says, You wait, Peter. <laughs> you know? What in the world happened today? <laughs> we were in prison. An angel let us out. John, tell me, you saw the angel, man? <laughs> I thought, are we crazy? <laughs> crazy. We saw it in our Lord. And he told us, we do greater things than these because, John 14, I'm sending my spirit. So you should actually expect to see the things you saw. Don't be surprised. You're not crazy. And I think Rick was right the other night. Part of our concern about the Spirit is we're worried he'll embarrass us. And I mean that really respectfully. We just don't know what to do with it. But the Spirit says, I think by you wanting less of me, you got less of what you needed and less of what you wanted. You get the feel? So, that's it for today. We got a little bit to talk about on that. Dinner might be interesting. You might even say, well, I don't know how this affects my soteriology. <laughs> I hope some of you are thinking that. I do. You know? And some of you are like, I don't even want to talk about it. It'll ruin my dinner. No, it'll bless it. But what if we just admit that the Christian life is walking on a journey with the Spirit that we blog and journal and use and sing about. And lots and lots of times we lay wide-eyed awake at night and just say, oh, Holy Spirit, thank you for showing up in my life today. God bless you. Have a great day.